Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, verses 1 through 9 and verse 12. Then the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. Next he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. There the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went out east with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of the mile and led me through the water. It came up to my waist. Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river I could not cross on foot, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed on foot. He asked me, do you see this, son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the riverbank. He said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to the Arabah. When it enters the sea, the Dead Sea, the water of the sea becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the river flows, and there will be a huge number of fish. Because this water goes there, the water will become fresh. There will be life everywhere the river goes. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves will be for healing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We will read together today's psalm, Psalm 30, We'll read responsively by whole verse. I will magnify you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes triumph over me. Lord my God, cry unto you, you have made me whole. You, Lord, have brought my soul out of the grave. You have saved my life from among those who go down to the pit. the remembrance of his holiness. For his wrath endures but the twinkling of an eye, his pleasure for a lifetime. Heaviness may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In my prosperity, I said, I, I shall never be moved. You, Lord, of your goodness, 
have made my hill so strong. You turned your face from me, and I was distressed. Then I cried unto you, O Lord, and came to my Lord most humbly. What profit is there in my bloodshed if I go down to the pit? Shall the dust give thanks unto you, or shall it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my lamentation into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Therefore shall my heart sing of your praise without ceasing. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto you forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. The gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. 
Will you please stand for the reading of the Gospel? This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So this is the last sermon that I get to preach for this church. My temptation as I was thinking about it this week was, well, I wrote about four different sermons, and so I was going to try to say everything all at once, and it would have taken about an hour. Um, the second thing I thought I would do is kind of give the, the blunt truth and hard exhortation that sometimes pastors are a little bit afraid to do because we have to see each other every week. And so it was going to be kind of like Father Jay says, eat your vegetables for about 30 minutes. But as I was thinking about it, I realized that the best way that I could, that I could end my time as your pastor was to talk about a couple different images across the whole Bible. Um, to talk about how God's church has one destination. How God's story of redemption has a known ending already. And then what we're supposed to do about that in the meantime. And there's a metaphor that runs throughout Scripture. And so today it's actually all about rivers. Because the Bible begins with a river in the middle of a garden. And it ends with a river in the middle of a city. And so normally we go through specific books of the Bible here in this church. And so I'll often say, like, if you brought your Bible, uh, open it up to, you know, some chapter of a, of a book that we've been going through. But we're going to be a little bit all over the place today. So we're going to be touching on each of our four readings that we just did. But if you really want to, uh, if you want to prepare for where this is going to end up, then we're going to be in our New Testament reading. So if you want to, open your Bibles to chapter 21 of the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ given to St. John, which is actually what the title of Revelation is. It's the Apocalypse. Apocalypse simply means to remove a veil or to reveal something. And so that's what Revelation is. It's, it's, it's this revealing, this apocalypse of what the world actually looks like from God's perspective. It's a retelling of the events of human history from a heavenly perspective. But it's going to take us a couple minutes to get there. So, the Bible is the story of, of God being with his people, right? And in the Old Testament, God has already chosen a people. He has chosen a people to be his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people for his own possession. And what they were supposed to be is they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. They were supposed to be a kingdom of ministers that would be 
prepared to be sent out into the world around them to spread the knowledge of God and the love of God to the nations around them. And while God was choosing these people, he also dwelt in the midst of them, but always kind of separate. He had to be walled off from them so that, so that their sin and his holiness couldn't meet. This happened first in the Old Testament as the Israelites were wandering around in the desert. This happened in a big tent. That's where God's dwelling was. And then later on in Jerusalem, it happened in the temple. And in that, in that big tent, and then later in that even bigger temple, anybody, anybody could walk up to the tent or up to the temple and offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. But only a special group of people who remained ritually pure could actually enter into that tent or enter into that temple. And they were called the priests. And then, in the middle of that tent, and then in the middle of that temple, there was a special place. It was called the Holy of Holies, or the holiest place, or the most holy place. And there was only one person who could enter into there. And that was a man known as the High Priest. And he could only enter into it once a year after he had gone through a week of purification rituals. That's how... That's how Strictly, God took, um, that's, that's how strictly God governed this stuff. And so one person, the high priest, could enter that most holy place only one day out of the year after he had done seven days of purification ritual. And the holy presence of God was so thick in that place called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place that when the high priest would go in there, the people would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he went in there and, managed, and somehow died... Nobody else could go in. And so they had to keep a rope around his ankle because if he died in there, then they would just jerk on the rope and pull him out of there. This was the most holy place, the thickest presence of God. And so the temple was the center point of the nation of Israel. It was the center point of the worship of God. And there were layers upon layers of barriers preventing people from entering into God's presence. But then in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 47, which we just heard read, something very interesting happened. Ezekiel was a prophet, and he was living in exile with the rest of his people. And God was giving Ezekiel visions that he was supposed to go and tell the rest of the Israelites living in exile. So starting in chapter 40 of Ezekiel, God's, God's people are in exile. They are strangers in a strange land. They are sojourners in a foreign land. And they have been taken from their home, the temple that they loved has been destroyed. And then God gives Ezekiel a vision for what the new temple is going to be like. And for six chapters in Ezekiel, God is showing Ezekiel various aspects of this temple, talking to him about how glorious it's going to be. The Jerusalem temple had been the most defining symbol of the Israelite people, and now it was gone. It was the place where God's presence had dwelt most fully, and now they couldn't get to it. It's where all of Israel came several times a year to worship. And his holy presence, God's holy presence in that place, as I said, was closely guarded. But then in Ezekiel 47, something very interesting happens. Instead of things going into the temple, like people bringing sacrifices, or priests going to do a service, or animals being brought in for, to, to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins, or the great high priest going into that room once a year. Instead of things going into the temple, in Ezekiel 47, something starts to come out of it. Water. Rushing water. What the Bible calls 
living water. Um, any, any river or creek or stream, anytime water is moving, the Bible refers to that as living water. And so this rushing living water is coming out of the temple, feeding everything that it passed by. It was watering all the land around it. It was nourishing it. And everywhere that this living water touched, all along the banks of this new river that was being cut, great trees were growing. And these trees were bearing fruit. It says in verse 11, on the banks of the river, on both sides of the river, there will grow trees of all kinds for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail, and they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows out of the sanctuary. It flows out of the temple, out of that most holy place. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for healing. So if you're familiar with the Bible at all, think about how Jesus or the Apostle Paul or Peter tells Christians how they should live, that they should bear fruit. This is that image. This is that kind of image. A tree that is being well-fed by living water given from God. That kind of tree will bear good fruit. And so the fruit that was growing was good for nourishment. The leaves of the trees growing along the banks of this, this new river of living water, the leaves themselves would be used for healing. And the fruit would never fail. And the leaves would never wither. They would grow and they would flourish forever. It is a gorgeous beautiful picture that God has given to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, this prophet who's been living in exile with the rest of his people, living in exile, unsure when they were going to get to return home, unsure when they were going to be back in the home that God had promised them, and unsure what home would even look like once they got there. So what God was giving his people through Ezekiel was basically hope for their journey. Remember that the Bible tells one big overarching story and it focuses on one central character, Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible tells the story of, of God's creation. It tells the story of man's fall into sin. It tells the story of God's redemption of his creation and then the consummation or the restoration of all things. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. It's the major story of the Bible. And the main message of the Bible, the main message of the gospel, is that Jesus is king. Jesus has come to put everything right. Jesus has been given all authority in all of creation to bring order out of the chaos that men and women created when we sin. Jesus came to lift everything up out of the muck and the mire that we have made of this world when we sin. Jesus has come to bring holiness and justice. Jesus has come to bring holiness and justice against the sin and the injustice that we create because we are by nature fallen sinful people. By nature, we are in love with our own sin. By nature, the Bible says, we are children of wrath. And so that's the gospel. Jesus is king. He was crucified for our sins. He was raised for our justification. And by his resurrection, he won for himself this perfected body that can never die. This resurrection body that can never die. And by his ascension, he was enthroned in the heavenly throne room to rule and reign as king on a throne forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That, that for us, that is hope for our journey. 
and He is coming back again. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation, the last couple chapters are all about the fact that Jesus is actually coming back. Aubrey talked about this last week, if you were here. Jesus is coming back for the greatest wedding feast of all time called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. When there's a groom, that's Jesus, and there's a bride, and that's his church. And they'll be wedded forever. That's what we're waiting for. His bride is being prepared. But Jesus hasn't come back yet. God is growing his church. He's growing it in maturity. He's growing it in numbers. He is preparing the bride for the bridegroom. And so at the end of all things, Christ will come back claim his bride. And that brings us to Revelation 21. This is the moment in Revelation 21. This is the moment when the point of the Christian life is not that we die and go to heaven. The point of the Bible, the point of the Christian life is that at some point, God brings heaven down to earth. This is that moment. We say that when the church gathers for worship, what we do every single week, like this, that this is a, a, a tiny, a tiny meeting place of heaven and earth. We say that when the church gathers for worship, we are actually joining in and participating in a worship service that is always in progress in the heavenly throne room where we get to add our voices to the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But what we do here each week is just a, a tiny little glimpse of the meeting of heaven and earth. In Revelation chapter 21, heaven comes down to earth permanently. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out, of the heaven, coming out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride for her bridegroom. And I heard, this is verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Behold, the dwelling place. There's that word again. It's the same word from, from before. The dwelling place, the, the tabernacle, the tent. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, Behold, I am making all things new. That for us is hope for our journey. God will dwell with us. Or, or he, will, he will tent with us. It's the same word. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. It's a little bit like we said in the psalm today, in Psalm 30, that, that heaviness, or sometimes it's, it's translated as weeping, or sometimes it's translated as mourning, that, that heaviness will endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You think about that. You think about that verse. How can you... It's a, it's a simple question that has a simple answer. How do you know when it's morning? How do you know when it's morning? Sun comes up. It's light outside. Well, a little later in Revelation 21, at the beginning, and then, and then going into 22, God shows John a vision of New Jerusalem, which is this heavenly throne room and also the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven. 
to be united with mankind forever. Kind of like how God gave Ezekiel a vision of the temple with this river of living water rushing out of it. God gives John a vision of the heavenly throne room, this impossible city called New Jerusalem. It's Go back this afternoon and read the rest of Revelation 21. Read the description of this city. It's nuts. It's, it's a perfect cube that is 1,400 miles per side. So this New Jerusalem that's going to come down is 1,400 miles square and 1,400 miles straight up in the air. That's the church that Jesus built that the gates of hell can't prevail against. And when you think about this ridiculous, impossible city that is going to come down, it's no wonder the gates of hell can prevail against it. I can't even barely imagine what 1,400 miles straight up would look like. But that's what we're all moving towards. And that's what all of us, each of us, everyone who calls himself a Christian, that's what each of us are participating in. Because God has one church. God has one church. And that one church will eventually become the, the dwelling place, the tent, the tabernacle of God forever. This structure that we can't really even fathom. It was built by God, built by God with Jesus as the cornerstone. And the gates of hell cannot hope to overcome it. And then it says this in verse 22 of chapter 21. It says, There was no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God itself gives it light. And the lamp in the middle of the city is Jesus. By its light will the nations come in, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. Heaviness may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's light in the morning. That's what makes it morning. Except that on this last day, on the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, it doesn't need to get light because the sun doesn't need to rise because the glory of God himself is all the light that we need. And the lamp is named Jesus. So joy will come in the morning and that morning will last forever. That, that is hope for our journey. So the question is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? How are we supposed to live our everyday, Monday through Saturday lives in light of this good news? What an excellent question you've just asked. Allow me to answer it. The answer to that question is all about living water. It's all about living water and priests. Now, we only read one, we only read one gospel passage per week, but I almost read two today. But I wanted to make sure that we all heard in Matthew 16, Jesus say, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. But if I had the chance, I would have read two gospel passages. Because there's a story in John chapter 7 that really is all about this stuff from the, the river in Ezekiel 47 and the river in Revelation 22. Now in John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's attending something called the Feast of Booths. This is an Old Testament feast. It was a yearly feast that was commemorated. That was commemorating the wilderness journey of the Israelites who wandered for 40 years as exiles, strangers in a foreign land guided only by the presence of God. And so this Feast of Booths, 
was a feast of celebrating God's provision, his protection. It was basically a memorialization of the hope that they had for their journey. And then in the middle of the Feast of Booths, which also could be called the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Dwellings, Jesus says this in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, On the last day of the feast, on the great day, Jesus stood up. Now, presumably, he's, he's in the temple or somewhere in the temple courts, and he just, out of nowhere, stands up and cries out. He says, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Then he says this, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John goes, out, goes on to say, Now Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were about to receive, because as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus says, Whoever trusts in me out of that person's heart will flow rivers of living water. And this living water, John tells us, is the Holy Spirit. That living water the same living water that flowed out of the temple in Ezekiel chapter 47. It's living water that brings life to a desert place. It's living water that actually, when it flows into salt water, it makes it fresh. It's the same living water that causes life to spring up and causes great trees to bear great fruit and leaves that can be used for healing. Fruit that never rots and leaves that never wither. So what does this mean for us? Well, in Ezekiel chapter 47, God shows that he is going to restore the world by his Holy Spirit. That he is going to restore and redeem and remake all things and fix everything that is broken. And everything sad will come untrue. He shows Ezekiel that he's going to make all things new by this living water. And then Jesus tells us, we have this living water. We are this living water. I have said this before. God is sovereign, and He has ordained the ends of all things. But the important thing to remember is that God not only ordains the ends, but He also ordains the means by which those things get done. And as Christians, as members of His church, we are the means. And that living water of the Holy Spirit that flows out of the temple is the same living water of the Holy Spirit that flows out of me and onto others, or out of you and onto others. The living water of the Holy Spirit is what flows between us. Because, and this is key, because of Jesus, we don't need those layers of protection to get to the, the dwelling place of God, to go to that most holy place. We don't need a high priest who goes through a week of purification rituals to enter into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his ankle. In case he dies, they can yank him out of there. We don't need, we don't need barriers to God. Because when Jesus died, the, the giant curtain that surrounded the Holy of Holies got torn in two. Because when Jesus died, the presence of God flowed freely out for any and all who followed Jesus. And so that presence entered into the body of every single Christian. And now, as the Bible says, we all, each of us, are the temple. We are all the dwelling place of God. We are all the, the booth, the tabernacle, the tent. We all have that living water inside us that will nourish the world. 
The writer C.S. Lewis once said, he said when, when talking about how we interact with other people, with other human beings, he said this, he said, your neighbor has an immortal destination and it could be either good or bad. So it is a very serious thing to live in a society of possible immortals. To remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day, it's a little bit hard to follow, but think about it. The dullest and most and least interesting person that you talk to may one day be a creature who, if you saw them now, you would strongly be tempted to fall down and worship them because they would be so glorified being in God's presence. Or, or else, it would be a creature of such horror and corruption that if you met them now, they would only seem to you to be a nightmare. What he's saying here is that each of us has a destination. Each of us, image bearers of God, will either be glorified with Christ forever, each day learning more and more and more about the glories of our Savior, or we will be separated from God forever, each day experiencing more and more and more of the pain and anguish of not being with God. And then Lewis went on to say this, and this will sober you up pretty quick. He said, all day long, we, in some degree, help one another to one or the other of those destinations. We are the means. We are the means by which Christ grows his kingdom. We are the, the priests, the saints, the holy ones, capable of having this immediate and unfettered access to the presence of God. The Bible tells us that each and every Christian is the temple of God, and so out of the temple flows this living water. Out of each one of us flows this living water of the Holy Spirit. It comes rushing out to encourage one another to bear fruit. It comes rushing out, as Revelation 22 says, to heal the nations. Anytime in the Bible that you see the nations, it always means the people surrounding the people of God who don't know God. That's what it always means every single time. We are called to make disciples of these people. We are called to bring healing and life to these people. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with that living water, we are empowered and we are also commanded to go out into the nations and use that living water for God's glory, for the good of our neighbor. And so when you, when you think of your neighbor, here's I want to leave you with one more C.S. Lewis quote. Lewis said that there are absolutely no ordinary people in this world. What he said, now C.S. Lewis was a lifelong good Anglican and a pretty Anglo-Catholic one. And so what he said is that aside from when we experience the presence of God in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he said aside from that, you will never be closer to a holy object than when, when, you, than when you are interacting with your neighbor. He said that your neighbor is the holiest thing that you will ever see because they are an image bearer of God. And they have an eternal destiny, either one of glory or one of suffering. But in either case, they are still God's image bearer. And so Lewis said, that person over there who's bullying you, that person over there who talks bad about you behind your back, the person over there who, frankly, is just annoying and irritating to you, that person is the holiest object that you will ever come across. If only you are willing to see him as Jesus does. So this is the journey that God has us on. 
as we move towards that day when Christ comes back and makes all things new, as we move toward that day when the, temp- when, when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and the river of life is flowing down the street of the middle of the city. This is the journey that we're on, where we get to, where we get to one another, one another. Where I get to, to take the, the living water of the Holy Spirit that is within me and pour it out for the good of others. And you get to do that too. This is the journey that, that God has us on. We get to take what God has given us. We get to take what God has gifted us with and we allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify it and we use that to feed one another and to heal the nations. So that everything, this is the end of the Ezekiel passage, so that everything will live where this river goes. Journey that we're all on. There's the hope that we have. And Christ's church is and always will be. Love you guys. Father, I give you thanks for this outpost of your kingdom, for this tiny meeting of heaven and earth that we get to engage in every week. We ask for your blessing as we we journey ever closer to that day when you will come back and wipe away every tear and make all things new. And as as our paths cross and diverge, Lord, we ask you to remind us that your church is one and that you are preparing it as a bride for, for her bridegroom. We ask all these things in the name of the bridegroom, in Jesus Christ's precious name.